Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's passage is in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you open up your Bible right in the middle, you'll probably hit Psalms. And just go forward two more books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2 is on page 554 in the Bibles in the rows, which are there for you to take if you want one. We'll be starting in verse 12 and then skipping down to verse 24. At the end of the reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll reply, thanks be to God. We give thanks because God breathed out every one of these 66 books, and he's verifiably preserved it, and it's been accurately translated, so you can solidly trust everything that it says. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have long been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. Verse 24. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity, and it's striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Giver of wisdom and knowledge and joy, you hold the answers to all of life's questions. You don't owe us an explanation for how you work in the universe. You're the potter, we're the clay, and we rejoice to have a God who really is beyond our understanding and whose ways are higher than ours. But we do give thanks for the abundance of words that you have spoken and for the thousand mercies you have shown to us by which you earn our trust and our love. In your Son, we have the body that casts the shadow of all the happinesses we strive after. Help us to see that the issue here is not ethical but spiritual. The question is not why, but who. And the need is not understanding, but trust. In the name of Christ, the substance. Amen. First, you were born. And you spend your whole life striving. And then, the end. Turns out it's good news. All right, Living Stones, how are we doing today? My name is Kyle, and I'm one of the pastors, if you're a guest with us today. Uh, thank you for braving the snow and making it all the way over to church. And um, 
I just think it's cool that, you know, we have a room full of people here because we value meeting with God, and that's what we're doing here this morning. So we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, as Dre said. It's going to be on page 554, but actually I'm going to have you turn one page back to page 553 because we're going to start actually at the halfway through chapter 1 today. And we're going through a series through this book. Uh, This book was written by an author who is unknown. Uh, A lot of people think that this author was Solomon, the great king of Israel, but then uh, some other people think that this, the author of this book was just written with a Solomon-like persona. And either way, the message is the same. The book is about how we can find significance in a life that often seems so insignificant. And so that's what we're going through. And, and the passage we're in today, the, the preacher um, is a character in the book. His name is Koheleth in the Hebrew. And he's the teacher. And, and he says to, and, and he basically takes us through a journey of his life. And that's what we're going to be going through today is the journey of this guy's life. And then he speaks into it. So it reminds me when I was in high school, I used to go out and mow my grandpa's lawn. And then we would come in and it would take me about 30 minutes to finish up all the lawn mowing. And then I'd come in and he'd pour me a cup of coffee and they'd sit there and tell me stories for hours. And it was awesome. I learned about how he joined the Coast Guard and used to flip turtles upside down on an island, wait for the morning to come. And then they would ride the turtles out into the sea. I learned how he moved out west. The way they ended up in Reno is their car broke down in Reno. And so, you know, how we all end up in Reno. And um, learned that that's how the Batesons arrived here in Reno. Learned about his family, that, you know, uh, his mom. And it was just, it was always so fun to go and hear the stories of his life. And like uh, many older, wiser people do, is they, after they tell their stories, they share insight that they've learned from it. And that's basically what the author or the preacher here is doing here. He's telling his life story, and then he's giving us insight at the end. He's drawing a conclusion. And so he leaves you with a choice. You can either listen to him and take his insight, or you can learn the hard way yourself. And the call for us at the end of us all is to listen to him. And and this is really a passage about how we can find happiness. Happiness is the greatest thing that we're all looking for. Uh, Blaise Pascal was even noted as saying one time that everybody's looking for happiness. We're looking for happiness in our family, in our work. Even the person who takes his own life is at the end of the day looking for happiness. We're all looking for happiness. And, And this passage is a passage about how you can actually find it. But we have to go along with this preacher's journey. And his big idea at the end that we'll get to at the end is this. Is happiness is found when you view as life as when you view life as gift, not gain. Happiness is found when you view life as gift, not gain. So the first thing he does is he takes us on his quest to pursue happiness. And it has two parts. The first part of his quest is that he thought that if he just acquired a bunch of knowledge, if he just gained a bunch of wisdom, he would find happiness. So this is found in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. This is what he says. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom, all that's done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart 
has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So the preacher is sitting there in his rocking chair and he's telling you about his life. And he's like, okay, my first quest for happiness was in my pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. I thought if I could find out life's mysteries and if I could gain more knowledge, knowledge about the Bible, knowledge about how the world works, knowledge about science, knowledge about how uh, people work and sociology, then I would be happy. That's the secret. But he says, what's it all at the end of the day? It's all vanity. And the reason why, he, well, and he says in verse 13, it's an unhappy business that God has given us. Anybody feel like that sometimes? They're like, man, I just feel like this business of life that I'm in is an unhappy business. And he says, as I pursued wisdom, that's what I learned. And the reasons why, as he says in verse 15, he gives us a prophet, proverb, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, it doesn't matter how much you know and how much knowledge you can acquire, you'll never be able to straighten out life's mysteries. Like the more you learn, the, the more confusing life is because there's just so many anomalies and mysteries in this universe. And you'll never be able to put it into a nice little tidy, nice little tidy box. And that can be frustrating. And, and then, then he also says in verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. In other words, he's saying the more he learned, the more grief his heart actually acquired. Because the more you learn about the real world, the more sad it makes your heart. Like I, I had a very sheltered life, loving parents, great family home. And so I, I just remember in high school, I'm, I, I used to be like, why are you guys so sad? Everybody just needs to be happy. And then I grew up and I got outside the home and I had to learn and face the world and read books and stuff. And then you like, it really makes you sad because life is complicated because life doesn't always work out. Families don't always stay together. Jobs don't always work out. There's suffering and, and injustice in this world. And if you pay attention, it should affect your heart with some level of sorrow. And that's what the preacher here is telling us. He's like, look, I thought the secret was if I could just know more than everybody, I would be good. But it actually just showed me that all this knowledge, he says, was vanity and striving after the wind. Now, if, if you weren't here last week, we talked about this word vanity, or some of your translations might say meaningless, is a Hebrew word that means hevel. Everybody say hevel. And it's a word that means vapor or smoke or breath. And, and so if you think about the qualities of that, smoke is like really cool and interesting. And fog, like if we had a fog machine up here, it'd be really cool and interesting. It doesn't matter how much you try to grab the fog, though, you always come up empty-handed. And that's what he's equating knowledge to. He's saying knowledge is this thing. This, you, you strive for knowledge and you think you'll be able to grasp it. Then just when you think you're grasping stuff, you realize you haven't grasped anything at all. And, and, and it leaves you feeling empty. It's Havel. It's all vanity. And he also uses this phrase, striving after the wind. That's a good picture for us. Because it's kind of like, well, that would be kind of foolish to chase after the wind, wouldn't it? Like, no, you don't see people in the parking lot just running around. And you're like, what are you doing? I'm chasing the wind. Like, because you can chase and chase and chase the wind and you'll never catch it. And you'll just exhaust yourself. That's what he said his pursuit 
of wisdom was. When he looked to wisdom, that, thinking that gaining wisdom would lead him to happiness. So then he said, okay, if wisdom doesn't work, let's have a little fun, baby. Let's have some pleasure. Let's have some self-indulgence. And so that is uh, summed up in the word folly. So his next uh, season of life, instead of pursuing wisdom, he pursued folly. And this is picked up in chapter two. He said, I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said, a laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use of it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under, the, under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So here he's just saying, look, so I figured out wisdom wasn't going to get me happiness. So what about pleasure? And he just went full bore into pleasure. Now, whether this was written by Solomon or whether it's just a Solomon persona, the author is bringing up memories of who Solomon was in the Old Testament. Solomon was one of the greatest, most richest men to walk on the face of this earth. When he lived, it says in Second uh, Chronicles, that he had so much gold in his kingdom that, it, that silver was common as stone. Like silver wasn't counted as anything in his kingdom. All of his silverware, all of his, uh, you know, all of his china, it was all silver, all gold. Everything he had was gold. Um, he had, uh, you, you know, you might think, well, I have a nice car. He built a fleet of ships that would go out and every three years come back bringing riches from foreign lands. Um, he had many chariots. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He's noted as building uh, some of the world's greatest structures. He built forests. I mean, I get impressed when I'm like, I planted a tree in my backyard. Solomon's like, I planted a forest. And then I built these lakes to water them. Like he had everything, all the achievement, all the success, all the women. He had singers. I mean, this guy made Gatsby on Great Gatsby looked like a bum. Like he was having parties at his house. And he said, I went full bore into all this pleasure. Full bore into all this pleasure. And where did it lead me? Vanity. Hevel. It's all Hevel, he says. Look at, uh, if you were to flip the page and look over at uh, verse 11, it says, and behold, all was vanity, striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He says in this passage, he did not hold his heart back from any desire. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being so wealthy and having anything you want that if you're like, you, you want some sort of sexual pleasure, you can just have it. You want, some, you want new cars, you can just buy it. You want a vacation to that exotic land, you can just go. Whatever he wanted, he just gave his heart full bore. You want to sit there and watch Netflix all day? Go for it. Like he just gave his heart fully to everything. And at the end of it, he found that it was all vanity, all emptiness. You see, we believe the lie that if we could just have more pleasure, more fun, more escape, 
then we'll be more happy. Or we also believe the life that we could just achieve more success or greatness or power that we'll be happy. And Solomon or the persona here says, neither is true. It doesn't matter how much you gain, it just leads you to more emptiness. Life is not gain. Gain does not equal happiness or satisfaction. Okay, there's a movie on Netflix, a documentary called The Minimalist, and this is what Ryan Nicodemus says on it. There's going to be the quote behind me on the screen. He says, I had everything I ever wanted. I had everything I was supposed to have. Everyone around me said, you're successful, but really I was miserable. There was this gaping void in my life, so I tried to fill that void the same way many people do, with stuff, lots of stuff. I was filling the void with consumer purchases. I was spending money faster than I was earning it, attempting to buy my way to happiness. I thought, I'll get there one day. Eventually, I mean, happiness had to be somewhere just around the corner. I was living paycheck to paycheck, living for a paycheck, living for stuff, but I wasn't living at all. And this is written by a guy who's not a Christian, but he's understanding the truth of what the preacher is saying here in Ecclesiastes. Um, another guy quoted on that same movie says this. His name is Oliver Marcus Malloy. He says, our entire life, was, our, our entire life we chase the wrong things we be, because we think that having more money and buying more stuff will make us more happy. But it doesn't. You know why the billionaire has 100 Ferraris? Because 99 wasn't enough. And it's so true, isn't it? Like, you, you're, you're like, if I could just move into that new house, and then you get into the new house, and a few years later, you're like, man, I think I want another house. If I could just get that new car, a few years later, you're like, I think I need another car. Same thing with jobs, same thing. If I can just move to a better city, I, this happens a lot if you grow up in Reno. A lot of people move out of Reno, and then they end up moving back. <laughs> um, if I can just move to another place, if I can just get another relationship, and let's be honest with our hearts. Many husbands and wives have said, if I can just get another spouse. Like, the answer, though, is not in any of that. More stuff doesn't equal more happiness. Gain does not lead to happiness. Life is not about gain. This is why uh, many celebrities who have it all in our mind end up taking their life. You know, recently there's been Anthony Bourdain, the um, famous chef, celebrity chef. There's been Kate Spade, the fashion designer. There's been Robin Williams. There's been Chester Bennington, the singer of Linkin Park. All these people who in our mind had it all in different arenas of life ended up taking their own life because they really realized that gain doesn't equal happiness. And so this is the journey that the preacher in this passage invites us into. But I just have this big feeling in my heart that we've believed the lie of culture. And isn't this the same lie of the devil in the Garden of Eden? You don't have enough to be happy. You need more. You can't just be happy trusting God and enjoying his presence. You need something else. So disobey him and then you'll be happy. And we believe the same thing. I mean, even pastors struggle with this. Pastors never have contentment in the church size that they have. They always want more. And, and many of us in this room, uh, you, you, you want more success, more money, 
If you're a student in this room, you think that if you can get better grades to get into that really good school, that'll give you happiness. Or you think that if um, you can become the popular person and you can get all the people to start liking you, that'll give you happiness. But it's just leading us to emptiness because gain doesn't equal happiness. So then what did he do? The next phase of his life, he has a sober consideration. And this is found in verses 12 through 16. I'll read it for us. It says, So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in the light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also was vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. This is a very uplifting preacher, isn't he? So after he realized that he's not going to get happiness from gaining wisdom, he's not going to get happiness from gaining pleasure or success, he then considers the two. He says, well, which is better, wisdom or folly? And he says, well, as I thought about that, wisdom's better. Just like walking in the light is better than walking in the darkness. Like if you have to get up in the middle of the night and get a glass of water, you should turn the lights on. That's better than stumbling in the dark. You'll probably hurt yourself. And he says it's the same thing. But at the end of the day, the wise person and the foolish person die alike and are forgotten. This is the end of all humankind. We will die and we will be forgotten. And so he has this sobering consideration. He's like, wait a second, what's the point of being wise if I'm just going to die like the fool? The wise person dies like the village idiot. The, The scriptures tell us in the Psalms, that our life is like grass that withers. In fact, one passage speaking about the endurance of God's word says the the grass fades and the uh, flower withers, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And, And so here's the big idea. It doesn't matter if your life is a flower or your life is a weed, you both end up dying. And that's a sobering consideration And this is an important step that this guy took in his journey and his quest for happiness is he faced death. This is the very thing that many of us are afraid to do. He had a moment where he stopped and he thought about death. And I think that we're afraid to do that. We fill our lives with busyness. We fill our lives with excess. But I think those are just strategies to cover up emptiness. He faced Death. He stored death. He's, he just stared death straight in the face. And one commentator says he had to do this because what if death is the thing that teaches us truly how to live? He made death his teacher. And this is important for all of us as humans, but it's a scary thing to do. And what it led him into as he did this was deep depression. This is the next stage of life that he went through. He went through a deep depression starting in verse 17. He says, look at this. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind. 
I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart over to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Can any tired and exhausted people say amen? (laughs) He's like, okay, when I stared death straight in the face, the first thing that happened to me is it led me into deep despair and depression. He says, I hated life. And I started to look at all this toil, toil for wisdom, toil for pleasure, toil for escape, toil for success. And I hated it. I hated it for a few reasons. Number one, he says, I hated it because here I am building this empire and then I'm gonna die and I have to pass it off to somebody who may or may not be wise. Like you might be a parent, worked hard to give your kids a great inheritance, but then your kid might grow up and become a fool. Good parenting in doesn't equal good kids out. Or you might be this guy who builds a great company, but then you hand it off to a predecessor and the predecessor just takes it and leads it astray and ruins the whole business. He's like, what's the point? And then he says, the second reason I was in depression is I was the one who was working my butt off and then the next guy was the one who got to enjoy all the fun. He's, he's the one enjoying the fruits of my labor. And he calls that a great evil. He says, this is injustice. And then as he reflects on his work and his life, he says, what's the point of it anyways? The harder I work, the more stress that I get and the more sleepless nights you have. And that's true. Those who end up leading large organizations and big companies often are filled with so much stress that the quality of their life is tanking. They have sleepless nights and their days are filled with sorrow and vexation. Vanity, he says. It's all vanity, deep depression. Now here's something that's important for us. I think as we grow in our Christian faith, we have to be willing to face deep depression. Because it's only in those dark times that we might actually see the light. And there's a lot of churches and a lot of people within Christianity that think that Christianity needs to be all cotton candy and rainbows. And it should make you feel good all the time, like an amusement park. But life with God is not an amusement park. Sometimes you need to face death. And sometimes when you face the realities of death and the emptiness of this world, it will lead you into depression. Some of the greatest Christian heroes struggled with depression. Martin Luther, the great reformer. He had this depression he called Anfechtungen. <laughs> and it was this, this debilitating anxiety where he was curled up in his bed for weeks at a time. Uh, the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, would get so depressed that his elders would have to send him away on holiday for months at a time to the sea to recover. Jesus himself is known as a man of what? Man of sorrows. Because the reality is, is if you face life with honesty, you're going to face some dark things. 
and you might step into depression. And so some of you in this room are facing that right now. Like some of you are like, I hate that we're going through this book because it's so depressing. Yeah, that's okay. Because in that darkness, the light will shine. And this is exactly what ended up happening to him. And so if you look down and you were to glance at the next paragraph, we see a turning point in the entire book here. Verses 24 through 26, this is where the preacher gives his conclusion, his conclusion to life. He's like, so after I was facing depression, here's what I concluded after all this journey. He says in verse 24, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment. So his conclusion is this. After going through all this, after, after pursuing pleasure, after pursuing wisdom, after facing death, after being depressed, here's what I learned. Life is a gift, not gain. Here's what will lead you to happiness. Eat and drink and enjoy your food. Amen? Like enjoy the little things because the little things in life are a gift from God. Enjoy your kids' laughter. Even enjoy your kids crying. Because one day you're going to be, they're going to be gone and out of the house and you're going to wish the noise of your kids was back in your home. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the fact that you have a job. Enjoy the fact that all of our jobs are contributing to this life on this planet. This is a gift from God. And just imagine what kind of life you would live if you would stop just trying to gain, 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 gain. And if you can instead just be present in the moment and say, what I have today is a gift from God. See, those who live life uh, trying to make it all about gain, whether it's gaining knowledge and wisdom, gaining stuff, gaining success and achievement, whatever it may be. If you're trying to make life all about gain, you're expecting of life. Uh, You're expecting life to be something that it was never intended to be, and it's always going to leave you sorely disappointed. It's like most of us have washing machines in our homes, and if you don't have one, I'm sure you go to a mat where you wash your clothes. And you might say, wow, my washing machine is really good at washing stuff, especially clothes. What if I washed my dishes in it? You put your dishes in it, it's going to leave you sorely disappointed, right? Because you're expecting it to do something it was never intended to do. And when we look at life as gain, and we we make it all about, I need to gain this and gain that and go this place and then I'll be happy, you're expecting life to be something it is never intended to be. And you're always going to be sorely disappointed. But on the flip side, if you could look at every aspect of life as a gift, then you're always going to be satisfied because every moment in your life is an opportunity to enjoy the presence of God. Even, he says here, even joy in our work comes from the hand of God. And there is no enjoyment apart from God. So what is all this in life? What is joy? What is wisdom? What is stuff? It's all given to us, not to be the ends of itself, but to be the means by which we experience the loving presence of God. The loving hand of God. And so this passage is inviting us to have self-reflection and to say, what kind of person am I? Am I a person that's living life for gain or am I a person that's living life as gift? And he says, 
In verse 26, for the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. He says, there's two types of people in this world. There's one who's categorized as the one who pleases God and one who's categorized as the sinner. Now, in a legal sense, we're all sinners because we've all violated God's law. But he's not talking about that like a to-do list. He's saying there's those who live life with God, and then there's those who live life apart from God. And and his big idea is this. If you live life apart from God, you're going to exhaust yourself trying to chase the wind, and you're going to get nothing. You're going to try to go for gain. You're just, you're, you're going to, you might even find success, but you're, in the end, you're going to be unhappy. But then those who live life with God can be happy in any moment, even the bad ones. Because we know that nothing happens in our life that's not for our good. Because God is with us. And he's shaping us and he's guiding us. And so, The author here and the preacher is trying to get us to have a moment of self-reflection. And here's why this self-reflection is so important. Because it's easy to deceive yourself. There can be two types of people that from the outside look like they're doing the same thing. Um, Two moms working really hard to be good moms, to raise their kids right. One is doing it because they view their kids as a gift from God. The other is doing it because they want to have the self-satisfaction of thinking, I'm a pretty good mom. Two employees working their butts off, both making their way up the corporate ladder. One is doing it because he views his job as a gift from God and he wants to honor God. The other is doing it because he thinks if he can get to the top, he'll finally be happy. Two students working hard, turning in all their homework. Uh, Applying for all the scholarships, putting in the extra time for extra credit so they can go to college. One does it because they view education as a gift from God. The other does it because if they think they can get into the right school, people will finally acknowledge them and they'll finally be happy. And the thing is, is from the outside, you can't tell who's who. And that's why this is such a beautiful book, because this is calling us to have self-reflection and to ask the question, Am I right now, today, living for gain or am I living as life life as a gift? Like the pastor can be caught up this. Two pastors working hard, preaching great sermons, uh, loving the people. One does it because he wants to build a big kingdom. The other does it because he views the people as a gift from God. Which am I today? That's the question it's pressing me to ask. And if you notice, throughout this passage, there's this phrase that keeps on coming up over and over again. It's this phrase, striving after the wind. Striving. And the preacher is saying to us, when you live for life as gain, that all, that all it leads to is just more striving, more exhaustion, more emptiness. So then we have to ask ourselves, what is the act the exact opposite of striving, it would be resting, or a New Testament word for that is abiding. When we can abide in what God has given us, meaning make our home in or live in or rest, then we'll actually find happiness. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Then he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he, uh, he it is who bears much fruit. The secret to the Christian life is not that you have to strive to get more. 
but that you can rest in everything that God has already given you. And Christians are really great at talking about this whole, like, uh, life is a gift thing in an eternal sense. Like, salvation is a gift. But we tend to view the Christian life as just like a get-out-of-hell-free card. Like, you just trudge through this life, and then because you believe in Jesus, you get out of hell free. But what this passage is saying is, no, it's a lot more than that. It's not just that salvation is a gift, it's that all of your life is a gift. Paul says, in him, in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. Colossians says uh, that Jesus holds all things together by the word of his power. And the invitation for us then is, I don't have to strive, I get to abide. I get to rest. I get to receive and just accept that everything I have right now, everything I'm going through right now is from the hand of God. Whether it's, it's painful or whether it's joyful, there can be deep happiness found in it because God is with me. And that is the message of the gospel. And so, as I said at the very beginning, you can learn one of two ways here. You can learn the easy way by listening to a guy who's gone through some stuff. Or you can learn the hard way. And you can try to chase that pleasure and achievement and wisdom on your own. And eventually you'll end up in, ha- in, in, in emptiness. And then you'll come to God. But the choice is ours today. Let's learn the easy way. Let's listen to what this preacher has for us. And let's abide in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God help us. In a passage that can be a little confusing, God, we just pray that you would help it sink into our souls. I pray if there's anybody in here who's just tired because as they reflect on their life, they realize, man, I've just been striving for gain. I pray, God, that you would reveal it right now. Pray, God, that you would show us how striving for gain just leads us to more emptiness. But how resting in you leads us to more fullness. God, I love what John Piper says. He says uh, that you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you. Would you help us as a church, as a group of people, just to be a kind of people who are satisfied in you. A a type of people so different from the world that we baffle the world because the world is striving and striving and striving, but then they could look at the church and be like, man, these people are resting and abiding. These people are satisfied in God. I want to know that God. But Lord, we just confess that this is not anything we can do on our own. We need you to guide us. We need We need your spirit to lead us into this place. And so we ask for the rest of this worship service to be a real meaningful time of of connecting with you where your spirit will lead us into this place of being satisfied in you and you alone. In your name we pray, amen.